hit go and do it. And it's going to be. Should I be prepared for anything? Uh... No, there's nothing to be prepared about, Frank. It's easy. <laughs> right, nobody cares. Nobody cares? Yeah. I'm nobody sure. Nobody cares. Not really. <laughs> No, the only anyway. thing to be prepared for is Ben already hit record, and he doesn't tell you before he does that. <laughs> Come on, Joel. Spoiling my secrets. Anyway, welcome, everyone. Practical Shooting After Dark. On deck tonight, Mr. Joel Park. Hello. And Mr. Frank Rizzi. Hello. So if you guys are curious who Frank Rizzi is, um, man, what's a good way of putting it, Frank? Uh, you're, you're, not, uh, you're not here for your, your shooting creds. You're here for your match director creds. That's a good way of putting it. Yes, I am not a GM or an M. I, I'm a lowly B shooter. Yes, but you, you do, you do, you do work with your club, and you've got a fun topic to talk about. Glad you're here. I'm sure everybody's going to love it. Before we kick into the topics and get things going, um, so many fun things happening on the internet. Uh, the board of directors started putting out a podcast. Um, so I know people aren't going to listen to it. So I'll just run it down for you quick. Uh, uh, Maybe give you a 30-second summary uh, of what the BOC podcast is all about. Sherwin's on there. Uh, talked a lot without really saying anything. Uh, Jake, the porta potty Jake from Low Cap Nationals. You know him, Jake Martins. He's on this podcast. You would actually think he's part of the board of directors just listening to the podcast. Like, you'd be like, oh, hey, that guy's a board. And you'd, you would think that he's on the board of directors, which is kind of strange, kind of funny. Area 8 director. Ted, uh, Ted Murphy's on the podcast talking about the bylaw changes. He assured everybody he's making sure the new bylaws are going to be uh, the, the gender pronoun game is going to be on point. So that's very progressive. I'm glad he's making those changes, of course. Uh, uh, and of course, everyone's favorite, Mr. Late Newthouse, the Area 2 director, made a, I talked a lot on the podcast about how much support they're getting for all the changes they're making. They didn't say what the changes are going to be, but Rest assured, people uh, people support them. I guess it's it's actually kind of hilarious. The inherent contradiction of doing a podcast to build support for what you're doing when your story is that people already support it, and of course you're not putting out there exactly what you're doing. It's great. Um, I've changed my opinion about Leighton. That's one thing I want to say. I did say I wanted to run people against all these people, get rid of them. Not anymore. As far as I'm concerned, we should make Leighton the Area 2 director for life. He is so goddamn entertaining. I never want him off the board. He is awesome. Uh, just makes me laugh. So anyway, let's kick into the topics. Joel, what's going on, man? A tough act to follow, Ben. <laughs> I know, right? Uh, well, I want to actually talk about, well, some people might think it's a little bit spicy, but it's actually not. It's, I want to talk about Joel, voting. Nobody thinks anything you're going to talk about <laughs> is going to be spicy. Well, I mean, Voting with your feet for matches, I suppose, is maybe is maybe part of the topic, but it's also not going to matches you don't want to, or you don't like don't feel obligated. So, a little bit of reference in the past, uh, there's like there's matches close to me, and it's like uh, I don't really know if I want to go to that match. I don't know if that's matches for me. It's maybe like oh, but it's only two hours. It's only an hour away. Oh, it's at our club. You should go to that. Well, it is our area match. Well, it is our section match, whatever. It's like, man, if you don't want to go, just don't go. Um, and oftentimes, like, <laughs> well, we had a, we do, we still do steel challenge. And for several years, I would always shoot a USPSA match every month. I'd go shoot the steel challenge match every month. I'd go shoot the pro-am match. And then I was just kind of like, man, like, I don't, and actually I was having a conversation with Ben, oddly enough. And, and I was just like, I don't really, like, it's almost too much. And Ben's like, yeah, just don't go. I was like, oh, yeah. 
I guess yeah. I should have thought of that. And so anyway, like I have Crazy, nothing against right? Steel Challenge. It was just, it was too much. Like, honestly, it was just, it wasn't productive. It was too many matches. But I felt obligated, like, oh, some of my friends are going to be there, whatever. So anyway, uh, absolutely, like, if I could talk to the version of me, whatever, five years ago, it'd be like, don't feel obligated to go to matches if you don't really want to be there. Uh, here, well, Ben, you were just here, what, yesterday. It is quite yeah. cold in the morning. So if it's cold and it's wintertime, I'm absolutely not going to go to the match. I don't care who else is going to be there if it's too cold. Um, and if I wake up that, you know, I want to go, that's cool. But I'm not going to feel obligated if the conditions aren't something that I'm going to have a great time or it's the off season or I'm tight on ammo, whatever. So um, anyway, I guess it's just the message. I don't feel obligated to go to stuff you don't want to. And uh, like at some point it just gets to be too much. I'm just like, man, I need a break from this. Um, well, so much of this is social for people. So they get kind of sucked into, uh, you know, that's absolutely what it was for like me. It's just, there's going to be people there. I like, why not go? Yeah. yeah. There was, there was kind of a social aspect to it. You know, I get, uh, I get sucked into, uh, going to a lot of matches and I'm like, yeah, I really don't want to go. But all the guys from the club are going to be there. I know I'm going to have a good time hanging out with them. You know, the match will be okay, but you know, I'm going to have a good time anyway. So. Oh, yeah, all right, I'll go. Mm -hmm. Well, and on the flip side of that, I guess, there are, if there's a match that I suspect there's going to be a problem with the stages, officiating, it's not going to be fair, or there's something I just don't like for whatever reason, like Spider-Sense tingling, I don't care if it's five minutes or five hours from my house. Like, I'm not going to go if I, like, I just, from now on, I don't feel obligated to go to something I don't want to. And I think too many people fall into that, where they're just like, well, it might not be good, but I'm still going to go because it's an hour from my house or my club match or whatever. Well, really what it – the big problem is this, this makes – this is what causes burnout, really. Mm -hmm. So where you're, like, you're constantly having stuff that you have to do and you don't – I mean, it's nice to take a break sometimes and you build your desire to shoot again. Sometimes you want to train more and shoot less matches. So, you know, there's a lot of reasons – uh, not to go to matches. This is especially common with guys who live down south, where they have matches year round. I can it's see like, that. Yeah, say, hey man, why don't you just take an off season and it's, you know, just don't don't do anything for a, you know a couple months when it's, you know, convenient for you or something like that. Uh, you know, you don't have to always be going at it. Yep. And that's what keeps you fresh, especially if guys are uh, busy building matches and doing all this stuff. Right, Frank? Doesn't leave yeah. a lot of time for practice. No, it doesn't. No, uh, <laughs> it's definitely true. You know, I spent a lot of time building stages and putting uh, matches together on the ground. You know, I'm building up a club. I started our club at uh, Colonial on Staten Island in, in New York City. Uh, we started about three years ago, and it, it, it's really taken off from them. Uh, we had the uh, first match we did. You know, we had a bunch of club guys show up, and then little by little, I got guys coming from upstate New York, from Long Island, from Jersey. Guys from all over the area showing up. I'm like, wow, this is wild. Mm -hmm. And it really took off from there. I mean, we got a match coming up this Saturday, and I got 80 people signed up for that match. You know, oh, we only crap. shoot five stage match, so it, it's really taken off. That's awesome. Yeah. Yes, but then eventually, like, the trick for you is now to find a way to pass this off to somebody or make it. Well, seriously, right? Because it's like, what? I mean, now is like, if you don't make it happen, who will? And that's not a good, it's not a good long term situation. It's, it's not that easy. Once people realize how much work is actually uh, involved in running a club match, yeah. 
Oh shit. <laughs> yeah, if you if you have to do that for the next five years, you're gonna put the C in BOC, my man, whether you want to or not. You'll be done though. Uh so actually we started doing at my club. We had a bit of a situation and it turned out one person kind of running the club ended up not being around. And so we ended up just dividing up the workload. And so we have a bunch of different people that are all very capable. We have like, oh, this person will do scores for a couple months. This person does the match director. This person organized to make sure we have stage designers. We got a handful of people that can proof. And then it kind of turned into a group effort. Uh, more than just one person stuck with the burden, which has been super good because I don't I don't want to be there every single month. And if I'm like, well, how does it? But you guys have a, a different match director every month. Is it? We have an Excel sheet just with a sign up in our in our Google Drive for our club. So, oh yeah, man. Imagine if you had something like that, Frank. Yeah, that would be great. So it's been fast, fantastic. <laughs> it, I mean, like honestly, like, well, I guess they'll they'll hear this. Being straight with you, like not not everyone was qualified to do that at the beginning. But it's like, who's the most qualified? I'm like, oh well, why don't you just hang out with me? And then it's. It's like on the job training. You just, hey, hang out with me for the day. I'll kind of show you what I do. It's not that tough. And the next thing you know, you walk around, like, oh, it's no big deal. Oh, have this person go check the stage. They'll know what they're looking at. And the next thing you know, it turns out from one or two people that's really qualified to a dozen people that is really qualified. So anyway, it's been really good for our environment. So Joe, is that is that the best way to go about doing that? You know, to get a couple of people who are willing to do the work, but don't, uh, you know, they really aren't up to speed in what goes on. Just have them follow you and shadow you and. Well, what I tried to do was show them that it actually wasn't as much work as they thought it was. Well, I'm sort of so, being well, honest I, with you. Well, hold on. Let's let's say so. So imagine if you're the match director, Frank, this is, you don't have to do much imagining for this. Uh, you're the match director like eight months a year. You have to put a match there. Like, no, like maybe you get some help with setup. Some guys come out and do that or maybe guys help with different things. But at the end of the day, you're the dude responsible for that match that has to make it happen. Right. If nobody shows up for setup, um, correct, because you're going to make it happen because you're the man, right? You're the master. Shit, Joel, is Frank cutting out for you a little bit? Yeah, he froze a little bit. How's the internet there? And in, how's the internet there in uh, uh, New York, there, Frank? Fuck. God damn it. <laughs> Hopefully, yeah. he'll come back. Yes. Well, maybe I don't know if I'm going to have to repeat this. But uh, if you're the man, like it's one dude. Oh, I think he's one, back. Oh, he's back. So anyway, if one dude has to make it like you're the dude that makes it happen, like you don't really have to know all that much to make it happen. You have to understand, you know, the, the you know, the tablets and all that stuff, how to build physically build the stages, how to do the match admin stuff. Um but it's not really, it's not a huge amount of stuff, but it's just you have to make it happen. If you have, uh, I mean, and really the hang up for people taking on that role isn't like, can they do it or can they not? It's more like, okay, you're the match director, like for the whole year, like you have to make everything, like, you're the dude making it happen every month, you know, that year. If you have, if you have a, a, a club where you've got four or five guys who are, capable of doing that stuff then you just make one of them like you're the man in march you know and then the next guy's like you're the man in april and it's like you just rotate that around and that that becomes a way easier sell for 
any one of those individuals, right? It's like, you're not match director for the whole year, bro. Like make it happen. You make it happen in April. You're the man. And then if you can help like other stuff, the rest of it, it's like, yeah, that's great. You pitch in when you can. And, and you kind of work uh, as a team kind of splitting up duties. That becomes, that's, I mean, as I've traveled around, that system is the best system I've seen at any club. I mean, there's a few clubs that do that where they have a group or, and then they'll do things like, like, hey, uh, go, like, you can go build a stage for this month. And just some guy just can build a stage. And then the other guys on the team kind of check it out, and make sure it's good. And that's the way you kind of get more people involved and, and that kind of thing. And, and it, it, you don't have a situation where there's one guy make like who maybe he's not doing all the work himself, but at the end of the day, it's, it's his responsibility and that's a big toll. And it's, and you shift that, you kind of shift that around. It works uh, pretty well, I think. And that's, this is, I sold you on, uh, on this system, Joel, when you guys were kind of reforming your club. Yeah. Yes. We had and several it, conversations about this. And it's I was, no, I was like, this is what you guys got to do. And because I'm me, I just made a little word document. It's got like seven or six bullet points. Like what was the match director expect to do? Be there the first person to unlock the shed so people can access. Okay. Make sure there's enough people signed up to build stages. Like, done. Okay. And then you just show people, like, hey, it's not really that tough. Hang out with me for a month or two months until you're comfortable. And then, I mean, we've got a couple, like, top 16 Deathstalker guys at my club. So, like, if my homeboy Lane's setting up a stage, I absolutely do not need to babysit him. It's going to be fine. It might be a little – difficulty might be a little bit high, but it's going to be fine. But then there's somebody like, oh, this person's never set up a stage. I'll send somebody else over there, a veteran stage builder. Like, this is probably their first or second month. Just hang out with them if you would. And then, you know, you kind of see people floating around the parking lot with hands in their pockets. Like, hey, would you mind helping that guy out? And they're not going to say no. And the next thing you know, it's just kind of a group effort where everybody's kind of all working together. It sounds so cheesy. People make new friends. They talk to people they wouldn't have otherwise. And then the next thing you know, like everyone's rowing in the same direction. And our club matches are basically ran like a section or an area match. And that's the expectation. There's like no horse play with like officiating. You're an RO. If you're not an RO, you're not running the timer unless you like want to learn or you need experience or we're shorthanded. Uh, scoring is done just like an area or a section match. It's not like one dude rolling around, like just counting off the like the score to himself. And that's just the way things run now. Like that's the expectation. But I mean, it's, it's taken us a while to get there, of course. So. I'm sure it wasn't uh, it wasn't like that in the beginning. No, no, not no, at all. Not at all. Not at all. You need like if you're if you got 80 guys coming to the match, you need, you know, uh, that whatever core group, five, six, seven guys that are, like I said, all capable on some level of doing anything in theory. And they just kind of work together. No, it doesn't happen overnight at all. Well, if you have like you have the one man, if you have like a one man club where it's like one guy makes it happen, uh, that becomes very difficult to pass that to somebody else because everybody else sees like how horrific that job is like fuck that that's exactly what's happening right now yes so i suppose uh, a little bit behind the curtain i was kind of the guy i suppose maybe rallying the troops a little bit and so like throughout the week i was already prepping people be like ben match days on sunday i'm going to need your help setting up a stage if you could i need it to be like good or whatever like oh okay and so uh Anyway, that was just the deal. I already had people lined up before match day. I'd already picked out people like, hey, you'd be really good. Help me out if you would. And then, you know. No, but I mean, you guys had an existing club that had been in place for like decades, really, right? A couple decades? Yeah. Yep. But uh, that anyway, 
Joe, when you guys set up for your match, like your match would be on a Saturday, your local match, when do you guys set up and start getting everything ready, getting stages on the ground? Did yep. Guys, uh, uh, they can show up as early as they want. Normally about 7 o'clock when somebody gets there. Uh, registration closes at 8.30. Pretty much no exceptions unless you text or call ahead. Or like people from out of town, like they'll text, like, it'll be 20 minutes, like whatever, cool. And then it's hammered out at 9. So stage so builders are... Up that morning. Yep. So stage building is done within, I don't know, hour, hour and 15. Stages are up. The last How many guys do you have working on that? Truly? Like in a normal month? 20 people. Maybe 10. I don't know. It just depends on, you know, throughout the month, who's there. On a colder month, it's going to be less. In a, <laughs> you know. how that works. Yeah. May, June, July. People aren't, like, traveling. So there's going to be a lot of people there. So then when it gets like towards the end, stages are kind of getting roughly done. Uh, normally the MDs like the clipboard guy. So he's <laughs> not, you know, not not the guy hammering in nails, but just like, hey, would you go check that stage? Somebody check that stage. Somebody proof that one. And the expectations like you just check, uh, you know, safe issues like with 180s, pass throughs, you know, does this look reasonable? Too many shots. Just you don't have to know every single rule in the rule book, but does this look reasonable? Does this look stay safe? Is this stupid? So sometimes, you know, somebody has like, dude, this isn't gonna, this isn't really, I mean, yeah, it's a stage by definition, but let's, you know, let's make a little bit of changes or whatever. And uh, yeah, we have plenty of time to catch everything. And by then registration closes at 8.30. You've got a little bit of time if you wanna walk the stages, otherwise go grab your craft. You can drive- Hey Joel, I think what area. Frank was trying to get Sorry. at is that he set shit up a different day than when the match is. Oh. Just guessing. Yes. Yeah, we set up the, the day before because uh, of uh, lack of help, so to speak. So we, we set up on us, like our matches on uh, Saturday, and we set up on the Friday before. But we have to yeah, shut our whole club down in order to set up for the match. Oh, I'm sorry. Before I just so randomly. here's a suggestion, Frank. How? Maybe, you, might, you might just say, like, yeah, we're setting up day of the match, and the match commences at this time, like when in setup starts at this, at this other time. And maybe, I don't know, like you – charge less or don't charge for a few dudes that set up something like that and you just you just say like yeah we're doing it on the day of and maybe you're just like there's a couple matches that start late you know and then people kind of get the message and then it starts happening and then, you know what i mean yeah, like yeah, I got you. Well, once, yeah once you get the message then you know it's like, like yeah, then you start shooting you, at 11 o'clock you better get here and help set up yeah like i don't know who it's going to be but a few people got to get here early and, and, and do the do what they got to do well, how far is the range for most people, I guess, for a drive? I have, I used to have to do this. Like, I'm just saying, like, very early in my shooting career, I had to drive 90 minutes the day before a match to help set up and then drive 90 minutes back home and then 90 minutes back the next day to shoot the match. Like, it was uh, fucked. Hard pass. Yeah. But it was also the same our, thing, lack of help. Yeah, most of our club members are probably within 15 minutes of the range. Yeah, well... I mean, <laughs> yeah, like not to give away the secrets now, but I just like, you know, text some of those people like, hey, homeboy, I need help. Would you be willing to show up at 7 a.m. or whatever it is to help me out? You get a handful of those people. and But I'm I'm pretty like Ben's been to my club. I'm pretty lucky. We have a very, a very solid group here and there's a lot of talent in my club. So it's uh, it's a good group anyway. Nice. Sorry, I didn't mean to just brag, but are you done with your spiel, Joel? Sorry. Yes. All right. No. Well, it's great. Frank, you have so, a pretty interesting topic, I think. That's why you're yeah. here. So, 
uh, I wanted to talk about our match that we do. Uh, we do a uh, called the Staten Island Championship. Uh, what it's actually, uh, you know, I love telling people about it whenever I travel outside and we tell people, hey, uh, you know, we shoot this championship match in the confines of New York City. And I always get the same reaction for everybody. You do what? Where? You like, can't legally? do that. Like, yes, legally. We do shoot in New York City. Uh, we, we have a fairly big, uh, big turnout, too. So uh, we have this, uh, we won this match in June where there's another, believe it or not, there's another rifle and pistol club a half a mile down the road from us. So we uh, we go ahead and uh, once a year we put this match on and we use both clubs because we don't have the facility to run uh, uh, an actual championship match at one facility. We run five stages with each club. So it's a pretty interesting setup. What you do is uh, you sign up when you sign up for the match, you know, based on what squad you sign up for, you'll know where you're going to be starting either at Colonial or Richmond Borough, the other club down the road. And uh, you go to that club in the morning. You shoot all five of those stages there with break for lunch, and then everybody gets in their car and drives half a mile down the road and swaps clubs. That's so, pretty interesting. Yeah, it's it's very interesting. I mean, the first year it was a logistical nightmare. You know, sure. trying to coordinate two clubs. You know, trying to coordinate setup, and you know, basically uh, the president of the club over there is co-match director. So uh, we both work on this together. You know, we get a lot of help from uh, from the club members, a lot of help from the section. Our section coordinator is awesome. Uh, last year, we decided to do it and uh, make it a level two match. So, and it worked out, it actually worked out very well. You know, we were able to get a, uh, a range master, George Jones, and uh, God bless him for putting up with a bunch of Italian guys from. Uh, from wait, Thailand. wait, you had one range master? Yeah, two range masters. Two, you would have to, right? Yeah, yeah, because we have to have a range master at each club. You know, he can't be driving back and forth. So, <laughs> yeah, so we actually got two range masters, but he was the, uh, the lead range master. He had the most experience. And then we got uh, another range master, Tommy, uh, from Long Island. He came over and uh, went to the hand also. We got a huge turnout. That was uh, with uh, people helping. That was the one thing I was really surprised at. You know, we weren't sure if we were going to enough people to help. You know, the first year we did it, we barely had enough ROs for every stage. You know, we just made it to have three ROs. We were like, oh, I don't know if we could do a match this big, but we put it out there. And the, the amount of people that volunteered to help was incredible. We had to turn people away. So it, it was unbelievable. Everyone from the section, all the clubs in my section really stepped up. You know, the guys in uh, Long Island, the guys in uh, uh, Rise upstate, which, by the way, Rise had a fire at their facility yesterday. So I wish those guys the best. Those guys, wish those guys the best. Wait, wait, at, yeah. at, at their, like, clubhouse? Uh, they have an indoor range. It's actually an indoor Oh, range. shit. Yeah, there was apparently there was a fire yesterday. So I don't know how much oh, damage no. was done, but yeah, they said a couple of months they should be back up and running. So. Hopefully everything works out for them. Couple months they should be back up or so it sounds like not a not not a trash fire, like a proper uh, no, fire. I don't think it's a trash fire. No. It's a proper fire. Yeah. yeah it was, it was a fire. So but uh yeah, everyone from the section really stepped up, like I said, you know, and they, they all came, showed up, and you know, we ran this match like, you know, they these guys showed up like it was their club match. You know, which was awesome. I mean, I, I was nearly in tears with the, the amount of help that we got and the, the amount of effort all these guys put into it. It was incredible. So, you know, we're looking to hopefully uh, do it again this year. Uh, we do it the first. We can only do it as a one-day match, unfortunately, because we have a lot of club matches that go on. Uh, you know, my club runs matches every Sunday. There's something oh, wow. Yeah, whether it's a rifle match, uh, a pistol oh, match, disciplines. Okay. or plate match, it's every Sunday there's this different match. So you guys have so the, the big thing is you guys have a level two match, a section match, right? Or what? 
Was it a section match or just a championship match you called it? Just called it a championship match. Yeah, it wasn't for your section. But okay, okay. So but so how does it work? So you, you shoot you like you shoot the morning at one club, do eat lunch, then drive to the other club and shoot there in the afternoon? Yeah, that, that's pretty <laughs> much how it worked. I mean, it's a long day, you know, between breaking for lunch and driving back and forth to the clubs and getting your gear in the car and then driving to the other club, getting your gear ready again. So by the end of the day, we didn't finish till it was probably like five, five thirty, you know, by the time uh, the last shots were fired. So it's it's a long day, and everyone knows that going in, you know. But uh, luckily, we were able to put on a, a championship caliber patch. So sounds like fun. I have, a, I have a couple of questions. Number one, were the stages like the stage flavor or whatever? Was it different between the clubs? Was That's it like question too? So, so it was like each club kind of did their own thing, and then okay, tell us about that. I'm yeah, curious. So, uh, so basically, uh, I designed the stages uh, at our club. And uh, the assistant uh, match director at the other club, Anthony, he designed the stages for Richmond Borough. So it's basically, you know, you're going to two separate clubs. It's almost, you know, it, it's totally two different flavors, you know, because we actually have three uh, three shooting bays. And then we have the pistol side of our club where we have a shared firing line. So we ran, put two stages over there. Um, the other club, Richmond Borough, they only have one bay that they could use. And then they have a rifle and pistol side where they have shared firing lines. So they, that's how they run their five stages. So again, to, two totally different styles, you know. So it's like it's really like you're going to two separate matches. Okay, wow. and then at the end of the day, did you guys like get back together and do an awards thing, or were you just like, we're breaking it out, like we're done here? Or, I'm yeah. curious how that went. First, we finished uh, kind of late, and we had people coming, you know, from all over. At the end of the day, everyone kind of just like broke off. I would imagine that's what would happen. Yes. Yeah, unfortunately, we couldn't do uh, an awards dinner. You know, we had a nice barbecue lunch, though. We got volunteers, you know. Where, which club was the lunch at? Uh, so the first year, the way we ran it was everybody went over to the other club, Richmond Borough, and we had lunch there. We gave out a bunch of prizes. You know, we got some sponsors. Um, so we gave out guns. We gave out a whole bunch of prizes, and everyone had lunch together. And, it be, you know, it was it was great. It was really cool having everyone together. But it became a huge like clusterfuck trying to get everyone in and out of that one club. Sure. Parking and it was a nightmare. Last year I said, I was like, you know what? Why don't we have lunch at each club? So you shoot the morning of and you stay there, have lunch, and then you swap clubs. So we had to, we kind of had to coordinate the, the stop time for both clubs to make sure they were the same and make sure people were leaving at the same time. How's <laughs> for the parking? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that was <laughs> Did you talk to the other match director at all as far as the stages go? Like, oh, I'm going to have a, a, a loaded and unloaded start, whatever. Or did you guys just each do your own thing and it was kind of just a surprise how it works out? Yeah, we kind of each did our own thing and, and it was a surprise how it worked out. And it turned, it turned out to be two totally different. Oh, I bet. Yeah, we really didn't do anything the same. It was completely different. That's fun. <laughs> it, was, it was a lot of fun. I would like that a lot. Well, it's an interesting way to make a section match happen, or I'm sorry, a level two match, championship match happen, where you look at it and be like, no, you got, you guys can't do a championship match because you don't have enough space at your club. And you're like, well, plot twist, motherfuckers. We just use two clubs. <laughs> it's pretty, <laughs> it's pretty good. That's, that's kind of like how that. it happened. In fact, you know, we're so close together. It's li they're literally a half a mile down the road from us. And we're like, you know what? I think we can make it to them. You know, By the way, it's, it's pretty weird to have two shooting ranges in New York City within yeah. half a mile of each other. That is. Yeah. 
I think the only outdoor ranges in the city, as far as I know. Our range, we get we our rifle saw goes out to 200 yards. We have a 200 yard rifle range and 50 yard pistol range, and the other club has a uh, 100 yard rifle range. You know, we're outdoors; it's covered, so you know you're not exposed to the, the elements, but it is outdoors, uh, and it, it works. I mean, uh, as you can see, uh, if you see my background, that's my club behind us. We put a lot of work into that club, and when you walk in that club, you would never know you were in New York City. That's awesome. Yeah, we like to keep it that way. <laughs> wait, wait, except for the, the bus depot, a literal stone's throw over one of the gates. Yes, that, that, that came about uh, probably about five, six years ago. Uh, the state bought the property right next to us, uh, and they built a, a massive bus depot, <laughs> which we <laughs> thought was actually pretty awesome because they make more noise than we do, believe it or not. No, it's good. And the, the city, yeah. what is the city going to do to you about noise now? Exactly. Nothing. And so, you know, I mean, they have so they have a huge steel wall in between both of us. So, I mean, nothing can leave our range anyway. You know, we have baffles all over the place. You know, we, we're completely safe. Everything stays inside of our range. So we don't have any issues with that. But we figure the biggest issue that we always have is uh, noise complaints, which we really don't get too often. So, but uh, now with the bus depot there, everyone complains about the bus depot. Everyone forgot about us. <laughs> All right, so very interesting. And it's not the only, you guys aren't the only people I've heard of that have done something like this, but most of the times I've heard about this being done, it's a dumpster fire. <laughs> but it's, it's worked out for you guys, and that is, that I, is. Honest, the first year we did it, that's exactly what I thought was going to happen. I was like, this is going to be a massive dumpster fire. But it actually oh. worked out. People had a great time. You know, I, I don't know, maybe because it was me, but I actually, a lot of the competitors that I saw after the match, I was like, hey, you know, what'd you think? What could we do better? You know, what did you like? What didn't you like? And I really got no negative feedback. They're like, no, nah, you know, considering, you know, what you guys have to work with, you guys did a phenomenal job. You guys did a great job. No, so, I, all right. There's one other thing that's interesting that, you're, that you guys ha had at your club when I was there, and I want to talk about it. Uh, you have, you're not allowed to shoot steel, essentially. On the pit for your pistol base, tell us about the poppers that you were you were testing out because I yeah. thought they were interesting. They're I mean they're not perfect of course, but it was it was interesting at least. So tell yeah. us about it. I actually just recently found out about those. I was uh, a matter of fact at that indoor range, and I'm in the first time I was shooting a match at the indoor, range. and it took about three pe three squads. Uh, I'm sorry, three people, three shooters, and I'm sitting there watching. They have plates set up. And all of a sudden, after the third shooter, it dawned on me, like, holy crap, I don't hear any ding. These plates are falling. I don't hear anything. I'm like, what the hell? So I run out there. I'm like, I got to see what this is. I go out there. I reset the plate. And it's some type of uh, uh, silicone material that you actually shoot through. So the bullet actually passes through. It's self-healing. So all it does is make a tiny pinhole dot on this thing. The bullet actually goes through it, and, and it falls down. You know, so the company also makes, uh, besides making plates, they make uh, poppers. They make mini poppers and full-size poppers. So uh, the, the price wasn't too bad. I think it was about, I don't know, 140 bucks for the poppers, the popper and the base. I said, screw it, I'm going to get uh, a couple of them and try them out. So because uh, we have, uh, like uh, Ben said, because we have a bus depot right on the other side of our fence line, we don't want any ricochets going that way. Sure. Yeah, so we don't want to shoot uh, any steel up in those pits, any... Anytime you shoot steel, we gotta make sure they're underneath the cover, basically. So, 
you know, we got these poppers and they work fairly well. They're not perfect. I noticed that uh, guys shooting open guns uh, have a little bit of a problem with them because the bullet, uh, the velocities are so fast. They're going right through these poppers and not knocking them over the first time. So, but if you set them up correctly, they, you know, the popper has to be kind of like right at that tipping point. They go down fairly consistently. Huh. How now long do you those last? How many? I'm sorry, Ben. I didn't mean to cut you off. So I asked the I asked the guys up at uh, at the indoor range. They said they've had them for three years, that they've been shooting them. And uh, you know, when I talked to the uh, the girl that owns the company, she said uh, they last for a couple thousand rounds through them. You know, before they they really start falling apart, you get a few thousand rounds through them. Um, she said she's got one in her office with 22 rounds that they test, and she's got probably about 18,000. 22 rounds through it. Like, all right. Wow. So uh, apparently hollow points are a little bit more detrimental to the targets. Um, well, that's the idea, isn't it? See that. That <laughs> is the idea. <laughs> yeah, they're pretty interesting. Uh, I mean, I guess the only other options are shroud, shrouds for the steel. Yeah. If you do that, which those are, what's a good way of putting it? Problematic as well. That would definitely be problematic. Those are a pain in the dick hole, in my opinion. Well, very interesting discussion, Frank. Um, let's move on. I have a question here, listener question. Uh, in my mind, if the board was forced to carry out their shenanigans in the open, they would get away with a lot less. We've seen the outrage stirred up by the recent doc, doc leaks, for instance. Uh, of course, uh, they continue to try to hide everything they do behind closed doors in executive session, even going so far as apparently barring ADs from disclosing things the member to the members even when they would like to. My question that I would like to hear some discussion on is this. Although there may be some limited times when executive session might actually be required, how can we properly restrict its use to real necessity and require more transparency in the minutes? Guys, executive session, let's talk about, Joel, this is, this is really your. This is up your alley. Executive yeah. session and board minute board meetings. When is that necessary? I need some liquid courage. Uh, maybe Frank wants to go first. I need to hydrate. You know. Well, come on. Executive. There's certain things that can't be disclosed to the public. Yes. Like Like if you if they're if you're having a discussion disciplinary about, issues. I suspect. about like some employer or some shit. You that cannot be public. It can't. It shouldn't be. If they're having, if some somebody like some member gets accused of X, Y, Z or whatever, um, and they're just discussing whatever that is, that should not be public. That should, you know, that member. I mean, member, maybe they didn't do anything wrong. Maybe they're just going to get tarred for for no reason. Executive session is is necessary, but how? Like, what? What is a realistic limitation? Or how do you restrict the use of things like executive session, guys? Any interesting ideas on how to do something like that? How to make rules for that? So I can tell you. Um, yes, you're on the board of your club as well, aren't you? I am actually. Besides you're the being president. Master, besides the master director, I am the president of my club. Yes. Uh, so you know a thing or two about boards. Yeah, so a little bit. Yeah, I've been on the board for uh, 10, 12 years now. Uh, moved up uh, through the ranks in the last four years. I've been the uh, the president, um, and I could tell you there is not too much that we don't disclose. You know, for the most part, everything we discuss is in our is in our minutes, and I really think that's the way it should be. The first time I I read the uh, board of director, uh, the USPSA boards, 
first PSA boards I read it and I saw motion to enter executive session, motion uh, to exit exam. I'm like, what the hell is this crap? And then, you know, after talking to some people, I found out that that's, you know, what they do when they don't want to be discussed, you know, whatever they discuss not to be released. And I said, well, that's kind of horseshit to me. What, <laughs> like, I don't know. What, did, what did you think of the minutes themselves? As far as the detail, the thing, this and that. Um, I think they could be a little bit better. They seem to be a little <laughs> bit lacking. Um, you can read the minutes. And, all right. Uh, yeah. Well, I guess. Yeah. I read the minutes and I saw the meeting was four hours long and it's a half a page of minutes. I'm like, it's just. just to echo Frank, I'm actually on the board of directors for my gun club also. What? Uh, Joel, you mean you're not just a howler monkey on a podcast? You actually uh, do things in the real I'm, world? I'm actually the treasurer of, uh, of our gun club. Oh, you know, my the God. Proper, the proper what? gun club. I know, it's what? scary. Uh, yeah, so we keep pretty detailed minutes of everything also. And the only time, so people can listen to the, to the basically, there's, so there's a, a general membership meeting. So members can show up and voice their concerns and talk before that. It's just a meeting for the board. The door's open. So there's people that kind of loiter or hang out or could overhear whatever. Uh, we don't discourage them, but they're not allowed to participate in that unless they're called upon or they have a reason where we're like a vendor kind of thing where we want something outside. Otherwise, it's only for board members. No one else talks. Um, and then the only time we like close the door and kick everyone out is if it's trying to think. It's basically disciplinary action, something that's sensitive that would be. Okay. Your club is. I'm sorry, Joel, to say this. You're BOC up enough that you literally have a disciplined committee. You're not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and if they're like, oh. I love that so much about your club. <laughs> I won't say too much. Well, none of them are going to hear this, but it's it's ridiculous. But they'll be like, oh, I was watching the cameras and somebody broke 180 or something. Like, whatever. But anyway, if it's something like that or there's there's an issue where somebody's whatever that's not going to be public the doors get shut and only the board members talk about that and then if we take action of course because somebody needs to get barred banned reprimanded then it would just be in the and then the minute the minutes say like there was an issue with someone shooting uh the tables they were suspended from the club for six months you don't know who what where when you just know there's an event happened they damaged club property and this was the outcome yeah we do we do the exact same thing whenever we're talking about uh members individually you know for whatever you know, if something happened, we absolutely never disclose the member's name, you know, nor should we. But we let the general membership know, like, listen, an, an issue took place, something happened, and this is what we did. Mm -hmm. You know, so we, we have two meetings uh, a month. We, uh, one meeting is just for our executive board, and then we have our general membership meeting where we discuss with the members what happened at the executive board meeting. You know, we let everyone voice their opinion. We hear from mm -hmm. all our match directors. You know, and that's that's the time for the membership to speak up. And I take that that time extremely seriously. Whenever someone brings something to me, I bring it back to the board. You know, I don't brush people off. Like, like yeah, 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 okay, whatever. You know, that's that's not the way to, to run a club. All right. Uh, well, I guess to, to go back to the question, there may be some limited times an executive session might actually be required. You two with practical experience on real boards, agree. Sometimes there's certain things you cannot disclose for whatever reason. How can we properly restrict its use to real necessity and require more transparency in the minutes? I like to tell you my opinion on this. You can't really write rules uh, effectively governing, like, I mean, that's gonna stop people abusing executive. I mean, in my opinion, the USPSA Board of Directors abuses 
executive session. It's a real thing that you need. They abuse it. How do you stop them from abusing it? You're not going to be able to write rules. They'll just, you know, do what they do and undermine it. You need to change your leadership, in my opinion. Um, people who don't brush people off. I mean, you need just different attitudes running the show. Um, certain personalities, they're just going to, essentially, they're going to pull shenanigans one way or the other. If we even were, if, if we found somebody smart enough to write rules about exactly how you do executive session, this or that, they would just do some other sort of shenanigans. Like, let's say the board of directors would uh, get a quorum together on a conference call and just say, we're going to have a discussion and not a meeting. And uh, then just no minutes. No, it wasn't even a real thing. It didn't happen. It was just a discussion. It wasn't a meeting. Like, and so on. Shenanigans. It's always going to happen if you have personalities in place that want to do it. Um, I think as an observer, look, if you're looking at the minutes that you get from the USPSA board and the, I think, fairly obvious abuse of executive session, you don't like that. The solution to this is not to write some horseshit rules that they're just going to find some way around anyway. It's to uh, change the personalities in the leadership. That's my opinion. Uh, Joel, I'm sure you have a lot of things to say about what I just said. So why don't you take it away, buddy? Uh, no, I think you covered it well. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry, Joel. I have to fuck with you. You aren't that sorry. <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> no, we have we have a pretty thorough a pretty thorough group. So like the guy that's the secretary, if people are talking too fast, but hold up, stop, 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 stop. Who made the motion? Okay. He's like, hold up, I'm typing. And like once he gets up to speed, he's like, okay, now proceed. It's uh there's no there's no guesswork anyway. That's it. That's all I got. Uh Frank, anything to say uh about well anything. Uh, I, I, I don't disagree with you. I definitely don't disagree. <laughs> you don't have to agree with me. I, I say incendiary things, sir. Yeah, I, I, I don't disagree with you, and that's probably uh, the reason that I'm going to be running for Area 7 director. Oh, my. Oh, oh my baby. God. Let's yeah. go. Well, it certainly sounds like you have an attitude of somebody who's, you know, you're like, yeah, I don't brush people off, and we have accurate minutes. Like, fuck, that's a huge step up for Area 7. Look at that. Anyway. Well, well on that great. note. On that note, this is, listeners. I think this was a bang-up podcast, Joel. <laughs> listeners, if you have a question you want the answer to, go to my website. It's bensteger.com. Send me your <laughs> question. I'd love to hear from you. <laughs> you <can> retard, Joel. <laughs>